Hello, hello, hello. This is James Chrisofoli, and welcome to a new episode of the weekly recap podcast from the politics section of NBN. Um, again, I'm James Chrisofoli, and I'm joined again this week by... Brian Boyd. Thanks for coming on again. Um, so let's dive right into the news for this week. Um, I guess we can start with the appointment of uh, a new director of national intelligence. Do you want to talk about that, Ryan? Yeah, Richard Grinnell, um, a pretty partisan Republican Trump supporter, prominent um, in the Republican Party for many years, um, formerly or the ambassador to Germany, has become um, the interim uh, director of national intelligence. He can serve until, officially, um, until March 11th, unless Trump nominates uh, someone to officially serve as um, the uh, director of national intelligence, which under the Vacancies Act will allow Grinnell another six months in the position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, the the big fallout from this uh, decision is all about sort of the partisan nature of Grinnell, whether or not he's sort of just a Trump loyalist and a, and a Republican partisan hack. Um some of the response from uh, the House and, House and Senators, Republican House and Sen- uh, Congressmen and Senators, um, has been mixed. Some have remained silent. Some have tried to come to his defense. Obviously, the Fox News sort of machine has, has come to his defense um, for the most part, too. But the, m- many Democrats are just criticizing him as a complete, uh, as someone who is falls in this line of Trump appointees who will just kind of go along with what he says. And um, it comes in the context of this week, uh, Trump uh, appointing, I forget the title of the person in the administration, but basically someone who's scanning through all the different executive agencies and departments and trying to look for people who are not politically loyal or who are, you know, have democratic leanings or things like that and trying to sort of purge out those people from um, exec- the executive branch, which, so it's just that's just more context for sort of this political nature of these appointments. Yeah, it's, it's in line with the, the news reports that Trump is looking to clean house within the government. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also in line with reports that Ginny Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, has also been making, uh, her organizations have been making lists of people in the government who aren't loyal to the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Grinnell brought in a former Devin Nunes staffer to quote-unquote clean house and get rid of people who are not loyal to the Trump administration, I think affirms that that is sort of the intention of appointing him, even in just the acting capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And post-impeachment, there's no sort of facade of trying to, you know, enclose it in some sort of other, or spin it as, as doing something else. It's just openly trying to purge, you know, non-loyalists. So in other related Trump news this week, um, Trump came out with a series of pardons on Tuesday for various um, wealthy and well-connected individuals. Um, that included former Illinois Governor Blagojevich, um, who was convicted on many different charges, but the main, the core act was basically selling Barack Obama's Senate seat after he left office. Um, and that also included uh, a man, Michael Milliken, who was sort of became notorious for selling junk bonds and sort of t- t- doing hostile takeovers of companies. Um, so Mike Milken, yes, was a prominent financier in the 80s and 90s, and Rod Blagojevich, obviously, one of the, the most prominent. Um, it's great to see an NU alum uh, get some love <laughs> from the Trump administration. Um, but 
But really, there was a lot of attention paid to Rod Blagojevich's interview with Anderson Cooper, in which he he was talking about issues of criminal justice reform, and Anderson Cooper made the point of recognizing that Blagojevich was famously very indifferent and, and not really uh, paying and didn't really pay much attention at all to issues of criminal justice reform while he was governor. And now, because he was pardoned, claims that he is a proponent of criminal justice reform and has been for it uh, his whole life. And I think a lot of people um, talking about issues of hypocrisy there with Blagojevich, which is not not close to the worst thing he's done, but uh, definitely something that was in the news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and just some of the charges that people were convicted of that Trump pardoned. It was 11, 11 uh, clemency um, issues and uh, or issuing of clemency. Um, and that ranged from tax fraud to um, uh, making false statements and obstructing an investigation um, to, uh, um, to home confinement uh, or sorry, to um, st- st- uh, stealing vehicles. Um, it, it was a, a broad range, but a lot of it was financial crime. Um, and uh, yeah, just basically the, a lot of the people, the, the one thing that they had in common was they had some sort of connections to Trump's family or, or the Republican Party or um, Trump when he was a businessman. Um, and so, yeah, again, just in this line of not even hiding the fact that he's sort of using these blatantly political moves to to his advantage um yeah so next uh we wanted to talk about what president trump is doing uh internationally this week um he visited india you want to talk about that ryan yeah so he's he's in india right now um and there's been uh a, a big state visit uh he's got all the pomp and circumstance and they've gone um, sort of full out for his state visit. I think one thing that's notable is there's been some attention paid recently to what's been happening um, in India with Narendra Modi and mm-hmm. his authoritarianism and his um, Hindu nationalism and how there's been uh, an increase in persecution of Muslims, particularly in the Kashmir region. And it's so that makes it... Uh, an interesting time for Trump to visit, um, particularly given that there are some comparisons between the two in terms of style, in terms of um, playing up on ethnic divisions. And so that is definitely something to watch for as he's in India. Yeah, and uh, I believe the title of or the, the slogan uh, of Modi in for Trump's visit was Namaste Trump. Um, that was what they welcomed him with. So yeah, very... Very much Modi trying to highlight their similarities um, and really embracing Trump's uh, Trump's support and and success. Um, And yeah, India is in a very interesting position, sort of leveraging both China and the U.S. in its like geopolitics. Um, So, yeah, Modi has every incentive to try and play up, you know, Trump's ego and try and appeal to him. Um, But yeah, they're still sort of in this in this sort of interesting um, uh, you know, chasm between China and the U.S., and I guess that also provides some incentive for Trump to try and uh, sway it, to sway Modi and India more to the the side of you know trade and cooperation with the U.S. rather than China. And I think also 
One other interesting aspect is as Trump has been visiting India and then leading up to the trip, there was a series of stories about uh, his business relationships in the country, particularly how his son has been pushing for uh, condo development and just, again, seeing how Trump continuing to have business interests around the world has the potential to influence how he deals with foreign governments and how there's just long-standing corruption problems, both with his properties in the U.S., the Trump Hotel in D.C., and the properties that he's building internationally, which, uh, when he was elected president, he promised he would not engage in mm-hmm. any uh, international activity. So, uh, just more there on the corruption. Yeah, part. yeah, we've seen that in several countries now. Um, okay, well, let's just end with some campaign stuff. Uh, we had a presidential debate this week on Wednesday. Uh, we had the prime, uh, the caucus, excuse me, in Neva- uh, Nevada on Saturday. Um, the debate was, uh, and again, this, ch- please check out the 2020 um, uh, uh, podcast on North uh, NBN politics section. But um, we just wanted to touch on it because the debate was very entertaining, um, but also just because Bernie is gaining so much momentum and seems to be increasingly uh, the, the, the likely nominee and pretty much unstoppable in terms of his, his delegate count, um, especially looking towards Super Tuesday. So any thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of absolute numbers, his delegate count isn't that high. No, yeah. But, but, but just in terms of momentum projecting forward, and yeah. projecting forward, definitely. Um, I, I think if he does well in, in South Carolina, can manage to, to beat Biden... I think that puts him in a, an incredibly strong position going into Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Definitely fair to say that he is is looking uh, increasingly likely to be the Democratic nominee. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just him. It's also the fact that the sort of moderates or people who may be able to oppose him are kind of divided among themselves. So there's no real single candidate like between Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Biden that can that can uh, up, you know gain the similar amount of support as he has he has gained. Um, Sorry, last last thing I wanted to mention was just the situation in Afghanistan. It's kind of chaotic there right now, but basically yesterday, um, on Sunday, the U.S. government and the Taliban agreed to a ceasefire, um, and which has been holding um, in Afghanistan, and it was, you know, nationwide. There's been minor incidents, but mostly that's been holding. Um, but then also this week, there was an election in Afghanistan where uh, President Ghani, who is the incumbent, was declared the winner, but his opponent, Abdullah Abdullah, um, refused to acknowledge that th- that result and basically said I, I, he will be running a parallel government and started appointing governors in different parts of the country. Um, and relatedly, the government is not included in that ceasefire and the peace negotiations between the U.S. government and um, the Taliban. So just you know, it's going to be a really chaotic situation moving forward as the Taliban moves to sort of uh, agree to negotiations within Afghanistan. If there's no actual, you know, centralized, coherent government for them to do those negotiations with, that will really complicate the picture. So just wanted to bring that up because it's something to really look for. And that's that a lot of progress is happening in the past week, but where that progress will actually end up is largely in question. And this is the second time that Ghani and Abdullah Abdullah have run in very contested elections. Um, the last time Ghani becoming the president and Abdullah becoming the chief executive of the country. Um, and so 
political tensions clearly continuing, and it seems like U.S. strategy in the country has not been very effective thus far at producing a situation that could be stable for the long term. So it'll be interesting to see where these negotiations with the, Tal- with, with the Taliban go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, that's it for us. Uh, have a great week. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining, Ryan. Um, and this has been the NBN Weekly Recap Podcast from the Politics Section. All right, thanks for listening. Take care.